Hello, this is Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by revisiting fondly remembered films. Have you ever wondered if the movies you enjoyed as a child have passed the test of time? Are they disappointingly awful or are they still any good? We've looked at Superman, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Big Trouble in Little China, Face Off, Trading Places, Police Academy 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Bugsy Malone, Escape to Victory, Look Who's Talking, The Man with Two Brains, Kindergarten Cop, Short Circuit, Home Alone, Smokey and the Bandit, Tango and Cash. So are these films still any good? Join me, Robert Johnson, in my cosy living room. And me, Christopher Webb, in my garage. And find out for yourselves. (laughs) It's a lovely garage. Next episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. My name is Alison Barton Simmons. Now then, I'm Eggs Benedict. Are you eating chickens? Am I what? Eating chickens. chickens. Are you still eating chickens? It's been running through my head this past week, that since our last episode. And it was just something very minor, but it really did tickle me. Yeah, she got a great turn of phrase, hasn't she, Mrs. Levinsky? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. No, I'm not eating chickens, but I did go to uh, somebody's birthday party Mm. the other day. There was the guy whose birthday party it was. It was in a pub. His dad was there, but his partner wasn't there. And I knew that the partner had multiple cirrhosis. Right. Because she couldn't make it from the South Island. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a shame. Is, is she in a wheelchair? And the guy went, well, not all the time. Sometimes we just tip her out in the garden. <laughs> God. <laughs> now, I couldn't work out if he was being, like, you know, facetious. Yes. Humorous or, like... yes. You're asking me a stupid question, but I yeah. thought it was quite quite funny. Because <laughs> you know what I mean? Some MS sufferers, they're like up and down sometimes. Of course, yeah. It's not like yeah. a, a linear thing, is it? It, it's, it can be really bad, and then other times you it's you can sort of function and yeah. life's, all, life's all right. Yeah. I hope <laughs> I they don't tip in the garden, though. That's a... No, I'd assume not. But no, no chickens. No chickens this week. Okay, that's nope. fine. Nope. That's fine. So we are on. We are on season three of the sitcom archive deep dive overdrive and we're looking this series at dear john Mm. we're up to we're still on series one um episode five which is entitled toby which is when we get to meet john's son his only son by his ex-wife wendy and we find out a little bit more about the previous relationship he had with his ex-wife which is quite interesting yeah it's an interesting dynamic and and she for my money is Totally obnoxious, this character. I do not like her. I had to watch this episode over two sittings because I couldn't quite cope with Wendy. I had to turn it off when he went to pick up Toby because of her obnoxiousness at the front door. Yeah, she's horrible. She's So she's up there with my Tom Good and your Sybil Faulty. I think she's even higher than that. I have to sort of think about, like, why do I not like this person? I've got to check my own sort of internal misogyny because I think oh why why am I not liking this woman 
You know, why? Why? what is it about this woman that I don't like? Is it just that I'm judging her? I don't know. No, she's just a fucking horrible person. She's a horrible, horrible character. And you're not supposed to like her, I don't think, are you? No, I don't think so. So this episode attracted 13.19 million viewers, which is very similar to last week's. can't remember exactly what last week's was. And it was came out on March 17th, 1986. Yes. Mm. And as always, you will enjoy it. You will enjoy it. So no quiz this week, I'm afraid. But uh, one thing I did want to just have a quick discussion about was uh, a poll that I ran on our social media this week. Right. I know that you don't keep a close eye on the on the social media stuff, but you are in the Facebook group, and I think you did see it, didn't you, about Nemesis in in British sitcoms? I did, yes, I did. So I I was basically sort of asking the question why we don't have many Nemesis characters in British sitcoms because they're very common in American sitcoms. I I think. Yeah. Uh, Newman in Seinfeld, Arrested Development's got Lucille too. Yeah. Just trying to think of a few off the top of my head. Toby in the office is Toby Flenderson. I, oops, I think that's I think that's one that I even suggested because it's like an unnatural hatred of of Toby that Michael has, mm. and nobody else seems to dislike Toby. So it, it really is he, he is like a, a nemesis for Michael. Yeah, but I my definition of a nemesis really, which I think is, I mean, albeit this is just my definition but i think this is a good definition is that the nemesis needs to hate and be hated usually by the main character or or one of the main ensemble okay so so i guess that toby is really ambivalent to michael and also if you look at a lot of british sitcoms where you might see a you might at first glance think there was a nemesis like mr mckay to fletcher in porridge or yeah or um or even uh slater in only fools and horses to dell yes and Albert and Harold in, in Steptoe and Son, they, to me, none of those count as as sort of bona fide and nemesis because there's more at play than just pure hatred. You know, there might be the authority issue, like in Porridge, or grudging respect, or a weird kind of twisted family love dynamic like you get with, with the Steptoes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so in America, when you've got the janitor in Scrubs, that doesn't work because JD doesn't hate the janitor. I was just thinking about Scrubs and I was thinking about the, the, the twist in the first episode. You're drawn in to think that Dr. Kelso's the, the lovely, warm, cuddly one and that Dr. Cox is the is like an evil doctor that's going to make everybody's life a misery. Mm. And that, to me, was like a real switch of, of who was the actual nemesis. Dr. Kelso is a horrible character. He's mean and horrid and nasty and just hates... In turns, he hates anybody that's sort of not at his level in in the hospital. Whereas Doctor Cox is, you feel like he's he's nasty, um, but he's not. He's actually he's actually a, a nice person, and he he wants the best for the staff. He wants everybody to be. Um, yeah, he's a flawed hero or, or anti-hero. He's a flawed hero. Yeah. Yeah, but but neither of them again would, to my mind, qualify as a nemesis because right. Even Doctor Kelso being a, being a bad guy. He hates everyone, but JD doesn't really hate him, you know? Okay. Really, I suppose I suppose the janitor is the only one with real hatred in that show because he hates JD. <laughs> Irrationally. <He does. laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you you know you know what I'm saying? It has to be a sort of reciprocal. So is it irrational? Is that what all oh, right, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, it has to be I in my for my definition anyway, which is only, you know, everyone can choose to ignore it, but there has to be a reciprocal hatred. 
for there to be a, a genuine nemesis in sitcoms. And you get that, you actually do get that a lot in American sitcoms, but not so much in British ones. But I came up with four okay. for a poll, which were, uh, it was a sort of apropos of nothing, I just thought of these four, which were the only real four I could think of, consisted of Father Dick Byrne in Father Ted. Right. Ted hates Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Mary loves Dick. Mary loves Dick. <laughs> yeah. That's what was that show? I shout that quite regularly, and when people don't know what it means, it just makes me look like. Yeah, that's why I thought we'd best qualify what we mean by randomly shouting out "Mary loves Dick." It was from yeah. Most Haunted, was it, or something? Yeah, the the Yvette Fielding show. <laughs> yeah, look it up on YouTube. It's a great <laughs> clip. Uh, so yes, Father Ted hates Father Dick Byrne, and it's more than reciprocated. Mm. Then in Toast of London, a more sort of uh, contemporary sitcom. Toast hates Ray Purchase. Ray Purchase hates Toast. Phoenix Knights, good 20 years ago. Brian Potter hates Den Perry, the fat pig. Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and Denzel hates uh, hates Brian Potter. And then going back, way back, of course, in Dad's Army, the relationship between Warden Hodges and Captain Mannering is also one of mutual contempt and disdain, isn't it? Yes. So uh, I ran the poll. You've seen the poll, but can you remember, because I did it on Twitter and on our Facebook group, can you remember who won? No, no, I can't. Go on, tell me. I shall tell you, because it was the same result on on both um, social networks. Oh, okay. Father Dick Byrne was the top one. Right. Uh, followed by Warden Hodges. Followed by Dem Perry, the fat pig. Yeah. <laughs> followed by Ray Bloody Purchase. <laughs> so there you go. That was the Nemesis poll. However, we did have people replying, suggesting a few of us. I'd like to run them by you, Al. Oh, go on. Okay. Some of them you may not know, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, a good suggestion, I thought, was in the first couple of series of Red Dwarf, Rimmer was very much a nemesis to Lister and vice versa. They were the two main yeah. characters, but they loathed each other, didn't they? They just needed each other. They did, and that changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good shout. I think... In the same way that the Steptoes needed each other, but without the without the love, <laughs> the love came later. Yes, yeah. Uh, some somebody nominated Mrs. Dooms Patterson, but we've no idea what Mrs. Dooms Patterson's feelings towards Margot were. No, but I get it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I I thought that was a decent show, but only one way. And then with staying back to Father Ted, we've got Bishop Brennan. I think he hated Ted, and Ted hated Bishop Brennan. Who was that? I don't remember him. He was the one who got kicked up the arse by Father Ted. <laughs> Do you know what he'd love? A good haired kick up the arse. <laughs> Patsy and Safi in Absolutely Fabulous. Okay. What do you think? Is it more one way? I, yeah, I wouldn't say it was hatred. I think it was more... I don't know. I, that's, a, that's an odd one, that. It's, it's an odd dynamic. Mm, I think you're right. Because I think... Safi was just at the end of a tether with a mum and, and Patsy. And Patsy was just thought that Safi was a bit of a spoil sport, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think it, it qualifies as a nemesis. I don't think it was hatred. It's just tension, contempt. Mm, yes. Yeah, and I think well, it was definitely contempt on Safi's part. Possibly hatred from Patsy's part, I don't know. Uh, mm. We've got Blakey on the buses, but I think that was just an authority thing. Yeah. Paul in Ever Decreasing Circles. I don't think Paul hated Martin. No. There was a good shout, though, for Greg Lindley-Jones in Extras. Do you remember that character? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Um, 
it, I, it's always really uncomfortable watching watching them two interact because it, well, all, all of Ricky Gervais' stuff is quite cringy anyway, isn't it? But that was a particularly cringy scene. Yeah, in, when I went, oh. I have a, I have trouble with 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 any scene with that character, and I think he's a bit weak source that character really. Yeah. Um. But yes, he, nevertheless, they do qualify as nemesis to each other. Yeah. I would say, and yeah. and the last one I thought was a really good shout was was uh, one I can't believe I missed actually was Jeff in Peep Show. Oh right, okay, yeah. Yep. Played by Neil Fitzmorris. Mark hates Jeff. Jeff hates Mark. I think that's fair. Yeah. But I wonder why it is that we don't see as many in British sitcoms as we do in America. Is it does it say something about us culturally or? I wonder if it's seen as being like a like an easy plot device. A bit too easy. Hmm. Do we overcom- overcomplicate things now in, in Britain? Yeah, but even historically, like in these retro those comedies that we look at, I don't think there's, there's, pure, there's pure nemesis at play a lot of the time. But anyway, I mean, we spent enough time talking about nemesis now. It's such a hard word to say, Al. Nemesai. It is. Nemesai is nemesai. the plural of nemesis. Yeah. So would you, would you think that John, John and Wendy now, are they... Are they nemesis? No, because John, throughout the show, wants to get back with Wendy, I think. I mean, we see it in okay. this one. It doesn't take much for him oh, to no. make a pass at her. It doesn't take much, does it? Bloody extra glass of wine and he's, he's all over her with his Aaron yeah. Cardigan on. It's more just a, an, an unhealthy sexual attraction that he's got. One of, those, one of those relationships that you know doesn't work, but the genitals are like Velcro. Okay. <laughs> There's an image you won't get rid of very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, need some cream for that. <laughs> if you can think of any others um, above and beyond uh, the ones I read out there or thought of or that Al suggested, then drop us a line. We'll give the contact information at the end of the show. Shall we make a, a start with um, this, this week's episode? Yes. Why don't we do that? So we're on season one, season one, series one, sorry. Series one, episode five, Toby. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this life, I'll be gone. Life goes on, right or wrong. Now it's all been said and done. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. So this episode opens at the One to One Club, which we're quite familiar with now, aren't we? We 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 know who's there. We, we recognise the place. It's it's um it's somewhere that we've been before. Hmm. And Kate is in the middle of talking about her first two failed marriages, and he's starting to sort of feel that she might have bored these guys. Um, and that was the problem. She was too boring, hmm. which I, th- I think is a bit of a, a shame that that's what you the conclusion that you that she's come to. But Ralph asks her about a third marriage, and she snaps again. We've seen this quite often, haven't we? That Kate is someone that snaps when anyone sort of reflects back at her something that she's already talking about, and she snaps and says, "Well, yeah, it was terrific, Cloud Nine," um, which it's quite it's quite weird that she can't she can't seem to control her temper. When she's talking about her own experience, which is odd, despite the fact that she's gone to 
the one-to-one club to do this. So, sort of like group therapy, isn't it, really? Almost. An early an early type of group therapy, perhaps. To talk about issues, but she seems to get cross every time someone asks her anything about why she's there. She's quick to anger, but as in this case, and as in when she snapped at John, I think, in the last episode, mm. she does immediately apologise. Yeah. You know, I think she's just... She probably really gets off on that sort of sparring with Kirk... Mm. And she's in the mode for it, in you know, in, in the in the frame of mind for it. And then when one of the others yeah. pipes up, they get shot down as well. <laughs> they do. John tries to smooth things over in, in a very John way. That's what he does. He sort of is a bit of a go-between, isn't he? So he likes mm. to, to make things all right again. And he interjects and, and tries to sort it out. But Louise jumps in with the inevitable question of, did any of the husbands have sexual problems? And she would, yeah, she would love the fact that some of these men had sexual problems because she really wants to dig in deep. Yeah. Kate suggests that they didn't until they met her, which is quite sad. Mm. And Louise does suggest that it might have been their fault, though, as some men are such brutes. And then she does that face, with a glint in her eye, the cheeky, cheeky thing. Men can be such brutes. (laughs) So, yeah, she's definitely in... She's she's waiting for for the moment where Kate divulges something about any kind of sexual problem. She really wants to get into the nitty-gritty of this. Mm. It's quite brave, though, to open this episode with all this sort of outpouring. You know, it goes straight into this sort of vulnerable... Kate's been vulnerable, opening, yeah, opening it up and pouring absolutely. her heart out. Yeah, as a, right, as a, a way of doing a, an open to the show. thought it was quite unique. Mrs Arnott then puts her hand up and tells the group that she's got a machine for that kind of thing. So straight away you're thinking, oh my God, what is she going to pull out of her handbag? She tells the group that it's okay, it runs on batteries, which just makes it even worse. And Louise is like desperately, what? Trying to find out what's going on. And she pulls out what looks like a a little mobile phone out of a bag. And it's actually an attack alarm, which, which released a core memory for me. This isn't going to be really dark, is it? No, it's not. Not Well... I was about 12 or 13 and my dad bought me um, one of these attack alarms from the back of the Sunday Mirror magazine and it had a sticker of the Flintstones on it. It was like a rape alarm Mm. and it had a Flintstones sticker, which is a strange juxtaposition of of worlds colliding. Mm. It's like a children's cartoon image on a rape alarm. Yeah. We very very sort of strange, but yeah. So straight away, I, that's even weirder than the um, those toothbrushes we discussed in series one from the Good yeah. Life, isn't it? I have tried. I've tried to Google it to see if I could find a picture of of said attack alarm, and I couldn't do. But I will. I will do my best and try and find it. I, I, it was yeah, because I remember choosing it. Well, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, so I must have been quite young in order to choose a, a, a Flintstones one. When you when it went off, did it go yabba dabba? Don't no. <laughs> No, it didn't. It went, man <laughs> It didn't do any of that. It was, it was awful. It was, it was a real. It, it did the job. It really did the job. Yeah. Not that I, I ever luckily had to put it to any use, but it was, yeah, it was something that I bought, and it, and and it didn't, it didn't strike me as being odd when I had it mm. that it had a children's cartoon sticker on it, but it, it did, which is quite odd. Anyway, Mrs. Arnott's didn't have a Flintstone sticker on it. Louise assumes that the alarm is for is somebody else's and not Mrs. Arnott's. And Mrs. Arnott says, well, it's a, it's a mini attack alarm. 
And Kirk says, no one's going to attack you a minute. It's the Jags that they go for first. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. Mrs. Arnott shows Kirk what it does. Um, a naive Ralph. He, he still doesn't get it. He really doesn't understand what this Yeah, what does it do, he says. Is. Yeah. What does it do? And I think that's lovely and, and says a lot about Ralph's character that he can't put two and two together and think, why would, why would someone need an alarm? True. For such a reason, because it's obviously not even on his radar that that would be something that someone would do, which is quite, I think that's quite sweet. That's triggered a memory for me, because while you say it's quite sweet, he's, he's quite dumb as well, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps, Do you know what perhaps. I mean? I think I like to, yeah, I like to look at it that he's that he's just, he, he wouldn't ever imagine someone needing to use something like that, because mm. it's not something he would ever involve himself in. It reminds me of when I was a kid and uh, my sis- my sister had three friends round. Okay. I don't know if it was a birthday mm. or something, but they were all sort of playing upstairs. They were less than ten. Right. Maybe, maybe, seven, maybe seven or eight or something. And uh, I was downstairs with my mum. And one of the girls' mother turned up, who was an Indian lady, mm. and came in to collect her daughter. And my mum said, will you go upstairs and get Suman to me? So bear in mind, an Indian lady's turned up and I knew her as Suman's mum. And Suman yeah. is an Indian name. And I've gone, which one's that? Right. And my mum my mom said she was really, really proud of me for not seeing colour. And while I, I get that, part of me also thinks, fucking thick, aren't I? You stupid, <laughs> stupid boy. Work it out. <laughs> stupid boy, Pike. <laughs> I even thought, though, around around this, this point, the fact that Kirk made the joke around the car... I thought was quite interesting. You can al- you can almost imagine the character that he portrays, sort of making a really uncouth joke that oh, women are always needing them around him. You know, like mm. sort of playing on the fact that he's sort of supposed to be sexually glad he didn't say uh, that adventurous, um, but he didn't do. And I thought that was quite interesting and made me think more about what's to come for for, for Kirk um, in in sort of future episodes. Do you have a family, Louise? No, we couldn't. My husband had a vein. <laughs> Kate continues and tells the group that she didn't have children, but longed for them, which is quite, it's quite a sort of sad scene, really, isn't it? Yeah. Louise adds that she had two wanted children, but did she say that her husband had a vein? Yeah, so I'm presuming that must mean that he had a some sort of artery blockage some blockage, some issue, right? Okay. Not artery. Um, but they'd wa- what do I mean? They'd wanted to. Ad- <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, they'd wanted to adopt a Vietnamese baby, as that was all the you know all the rage at the time. But the paperwork was such a bore. Yeah. So, but they got a fox terrier instead, and I'm glad. I'm glad they got a fox terrier and didn't get a baby because I don't think a heart was in it. If she couldn't fill the paperwork in, I don't think no. heart's in it really. It made me think, it made me wonder whether Margot and Jerry ever had the same conversation, you know, because they're from the same class. Yeah. They could have adopted from overseas, couldn't they? Do you think a Vietnamese Ledbetter would have fared well on the avenue? (laughs) Oh, wow. Poor kid. That's something I would have said. I would love to have seen. Yeah, yeah. Although, when they had the Japanese um, visitors, she'd... She'd got them pillows, them them rock hard pillows, and so it, you know she was culturally aware, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, true. But it would have been a hard gig for a kid growing up in a Ledbetter house. I think so. Yeah. Bloody hell, Ralph! It was dreadful kitchen. Ralph adds that he too had wanted children, um, a son, 
he wanted to name him Bing. Um, to which Louise points out that his surname's Dring, so the child would have been called Bing Dring. Bing Dring? And John says, that's not a boy's name, it's a Chinese meal. <laughs> Bing Dring. Yeah, but there's this, there's this sort of interchange between them where she says Bing Dring and Ralph confirms Bing Dring and then she says Bing Dring again and Kirk says, answer, answer that for me, will you, Mrs. Arnott? <laughs> Very strong. Louise asks if Kate would marry again after three failed marriages. Is, is it something that's even on her mind? Um, and her answer is maybe, mm. unexpectedly. I wasn't expecting that. I thought she'd be really off it. But Ralph then suggests, why not join a computer dating agency? Um, but Kate thinks that's really creepy. That's not the way that she wants Different to time thing again, isn't it? A very judgmental 80s mm. like in the first episode. Yeah. But Kirk's suggestion of putting a personal ad in the paper saying frigid chick Six Eskimo with separate beds. That doesn't go down well, does it? Unsurprising. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And then a new sort of bit part character turns up, the Hall's caretaker. He comes bustling in and asks Louise to move a car. He calls her Miss Williams, which really ticks her off because she's a Miss. Mm. And I think I think this is probably one of the first times that I was ever aware of Miss being a thing. I was going to say this to you because I think Ms. became more in vogue around this time, around the mid-80s. I think, yeah, I agree. The mid-80s was, was, was obviously, there was Ms., Mrs. prior to this, but this is the first time I ever became aware of, of that was a that was a possibility. You could you didn't have to be a Miss or a Mrs. You could be a Ms. Mm, Ms. I didn't know many people, though, that were Mrs. No, but I had a teacher who was a Ms. and it caused quite Did you? I think yeah. Caused quite the stir. Oh, she's a Ms. I bet. I bet, yeah. No, it, it's not really it's not really sort of a, an issue anymore, is no. it? But that then it was a yeah, a quite a big deal. She tells the the caretaker to get out and she apologizes to the group. She she's got every intention of going moving a car at some point, but it's he's ab- she's absolutely not going to rush out and leave the group. Before they finish, though, she does remind the group that they all have been invited to Mrs. Boyd Peters' house on Sunday. And now, Mrs. Boyd Peters is, she's not someone that we've met before, but she's a Wednesday night person Mm. from the Wednesday night group. Um, Women are to bring the food and the men are to bring the wine. Okay. So they're all going to head along to, to this do at Mrs. Boyd Peters'. John explains that he might be late, though, because he's taking his son out for the day. This is the first time we've ever been sort of like ready to, to to meet John's son on screen. Yeah. Kirk who's childless suggests that John should just cancel his son. He doesn't get it really. Why would you why would you miss the do for the sake of your son? Mm. Uh, but John doesn't want to because Sunday's the only day that he gets to see him. Poor John. Poor John. Louise hints that Mrs. Boy Peters has an embarrassing problem, but doesn't go into any detail. At this point I was thinking, I really want to know what this is. I want to know what this embarrassing problem is. And the group are also dying to know what the issue is. Uh, but Louise doesn't divulge anything at this stage. Well, she's interrupted by that caretaker. Yeah, he comes in again. He comes, <laughs> Yeah, caretaker. The, the caretaker comes in again to hurry Louise along and she calls him an odious little pleb. And I thought that was right out of the Margot playbook. Mm. You odious little pleb. Yeah, like the workman who came and did the windbreak could have been on the receiving <laughs> end of yeah. an insult like that, couldn't he? Absolutely. Pleb. I don't think I'd heard pleb before around this time. I think pleb was pleb was something that perhaps I was introduced to by Louise as well. Yes. I like pleb. 
I, I think we should try and bring Pleb back. It only seems to get used now when when talk talking about sort of the Tory ruling classes and what they think of yeah. what they think of everyone else. But the general public, I agree. I don't I don't think I used it that way. Maybe I was using it wrong. I think pleb would just be an insult like idiots when I was a kid. Yeah, you pleb. Yeah. Mm. John goes to get his, his son, Toby, um, on the Sunday from his ex-wife, Wendy's house, which is also the house that he's still paying for. Mm. As we've pointed out previously, this boy who plays Toby is actually Ralph Bates' real-life son, Will. Mm. Successful musician. I wonder that sort of. I wonder how it felt sort of playing opposite your dad in real life. I bet it was. I wonder if it made it any easier or made it more difficult. Uh, I would have thought. Well, it depends on their dynamic, doesn't it? But you'd like to th- yeah. hope they had a nice relationship. Yeah, it seems. You know, you get some kids. You get some kids that are like amazing actors and very believable. But this was quite a natural. I, I do wonder whether it, it 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 was must have been pleasant for them both to sort of act opposite each other because it did come across as quite natural and believable you could believe that that toby was a real yeah, he person did, I, he, I think his acting was pretty good for a, for a kid who'd not done anything before i mean yeah. comparing to wrong shaped chips guy in, in faulty towers <laughs> yeah, you know what i mean chips guy yes absolutely um, the meeting outside the house though is very uncomfortable and wendy is awful oh, She's i hate horrid. her what a, uh, considering what's gone before and I know we only have John's side of it. We haven't got Wendy's side of it, have we, really, mm. at this point? But she's, like, passive-aggressive and rude and horrible. And for someone that cheated on her husband and had him thrown out of the house, you know, she just... She's, she she aggravated me. So that's why I had to turn it off. Yeah. I had to switch it off at this point and go back to it on a different day because I, was, I, was, I couldn't watch her. Well, she, was, she sort of came across as having no shame. Do you know what I mean? Really no. unrepentant, horrible, yes. posh, shrill piece of work. She was embarrassing yeah. John and undermining him in front of his son at every opportunity, wasn't she? She's just mm. not nice. And it, we should probably say at this point that Wendy Allnut, who played Wendy, yeah, who I'm sure is a very nice lady and not like the Wendy that was yeah. married to John, she was a regular in Absolutely. Sorry with Ronnie Corbett. Yes. She was in that. I do remember her. She was Ronnie Corbett's love interest, wasn't she? Or ex or something. I can't remember. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Language, Timothy. <laughs> she tells she tells John not to take Toby to the, the zoo again because apparently he's taken he's taken him to the zoo every week that he's had him so far. Um, but then we find out that that's all that's open on a Sunday. We're talking about the mid eighties where Sundays wasn't a day Sunday that wasn't a day where everything was open and you had free reign to do whatever you wanted. It was still mm. a day where things shut down. Things weren't open. So he's, he's trying to make the best of the time that he spends with, with his son and make it wholesome. Yeah. But Wendy says, no, don't take him to the um, to the zoo again. Hmm. He's got enough stuffed, stuffed animals and, and stuff. He doesn't need to go, go there again. Oh. And then it, where does it cut to? <laughs> to the zoo. We're straight in the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> with a stuffed animal under his arm and a cap on his head. And Toby, Toby's talking about Mike, who is the, the guy who was John's best friend who ran off with Wendy. Well, didn't really run off. He just shut the front door, really, didn't he, <laughs> yeah. on John? Evicted him, yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was no running. Uh, but Toby calls him Uncle Mike now, which is, oh, it just doesn't just doesn't sit right. But it's 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 quite sweet, this scene, because Toby is making John feel inferior to Uncle Mike in that innocent, tactless way that kids do. Yes. But, yeah. but John's saying, you like Uncle Mike, don't you? And he says, yeah. And he says, well, that's good. I'm glad you're happy. Yeah. Shows what a nice guy he is, you know. 
absolutely. He wants he wants his son to be to be happy, and he's glad that he likes the guy that lives with his with his mum now. Yeah. Mike, we're, we're so it's hinted at really around here about what Mike is is like, and Toby tells John that Mike says that he's going to take him and his mum to Disneyland, mm. which is like that's a usual spun line, I think, mm. to sort of get the kid on board. Yeah, I'll take you to Disneyland, but then we find out that John thinks that Mike's tight with his money, so a trip to Disneyland is going to be really unlikely. Mm. That's reminded me of when my when we moved to Shropshire from the northwest. Yeah. And my mum said, you can have a treehouse because we're living in the country. And then we just moved to like a market town, like a sub- <laughs> like a suburban, just normal-sized plot. You could never have built a treehouse. Pro- <laughs> the treehouse. The promises that, that you make to your kids, eh? <laughs> oh. Lion cow. Fucking treehouse. I also just could call your attention to the fact that when they cut to the zoo... Yes. They showed all these other dads with their kids. Did you notice? So it was like a joke that basically this is the only place where all these Sunday dads have got to go with their kids. It's keeping the That's zoo in business. Yeah. Before McDonald's became a thing, it was it was London Zoo. Yeah. Before bowling alleys made their way over here from America <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Toby asked John why he doesn't love mummy anymore. And initially John says, you said that you wouldn't mention that again. To which Toby replies, well, you said you wouldn't take me to the zoo again. <laughs> so, <laughs> touche. John tries to explain how the relationship works now, because it must be really confusing for a kid to try and get their head around all this. Mm. And he distracts him with hamburgers and ice cream, which always works with kids. Mm-hmm. We're then back at, at home and we see John dropping Toby back off at Wendy's house. And Toby's been sick on the bus <laughs> because of the hamburgers and ice cream that it's taken to make him stop asking questions, I think. Yeah. He tries to tell Wendy that Toby's had only... He's only had a salad and some wholemeal bread. So he's, he thinks he's got a sickness bug, not a belly full of ice cream and burgers. Another example of his little fibs that he tells. Yeah. Just, um, they're not white lies, but they're... I mean, you know, if you were dealing with a harridan like that, constantly on yeah, your back... Yeah, it's just to get yourself out of shit. Yeah, exactly. It's to get yourself out of shit lies. John reveals here that he's had to catch three buses to get to the zoo. Mm. So not only has he taken his kid somewhere that's the only place that's open in, in all of London by all accounts. But he's had to catch three buses on a Sunday. Mm. Ugh. In London. Ugh. Sorry, any sorry, any Londoners listening. <laughs> but I think that says a lot about John. John's sort of commitment to doing something wholesome with his kid. Yeah, even if it is boring him, silly. Yeah. Wendy here is, she's angry, she's ungrateful and very dismissive of John, I thought. She tells him off for bringing home more hats and stuffed toys, and for taking him to the zoo yet again. Mm-hmm. And she's witless as well. She says, would you like some salt and vinegar for it? That chip on your shoulder. Ugh, really stupid joke. Yeah, yeah. rubbish joke. Pipe down, you silly harpy. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, she sort of goes a complete 180, and then suggests that they try and be friends. And, and John asks where Mike is. Mike's apparently down at the club that he's a member of, having a lunchtime drink. Mm. It's now early evening. I think she says that it's like quarter to seven or something. And Wendy tries to make excuses for him. So we can already see sort of cracks in the in the in the Mike and Wendy yeah. love nest dynamic. She offers John a drink and says, Go on, you can help yourself. Uh, you know where the cocktail cabinet is. And John does that muttery thing and he says, Yeah, of course I do. I bought the bloody thing. Yeah. So 
it must be really uncomfortable being in that house, knowing that you've paid for everything and that these were your things. These were your things that you had mm. in your life, and now you've you've got no right to any of this. Just feels really sad. Yeah. God, we're going to start sounding like fathers for justice in a minute. No, <laughs> you got your superhero costume. We're going to scale a building. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go and climb up Bolton Town Hall. Any sexual problems? They argue over the whiskey in the cabinet, and John assumes he's, he's that he's paying for because he knows that Mike is is quite tight. And then he and Wendy end up reminiscing a little, and Wendy suggests that the marriage broke up because John was a teacher and was more focused on his job. And he's marking, his evenings were spent marking books. Mm. But John just insists that he just wanted to give his family a good life. He just wanted to the, the best for everyone. And you can see both sides of that. I can, I can see both sides of, of that. Yeah, I guess definitely. so. But I mean, how would Wendy cope with, marri- with being married to a modern day teacher? You know, the amount of bloody work they yeah. have to do. Jeez. Yeah. Any role you could, you could put into, into that argument, couldn't you? And think, well, you know, it's not, doesn't mean you can go and cheat on him. Yeah, exactly. He was providing. Mm. They, they, they're sort of lurching on a loop between squabbling and flirting and squabbling and flirting, aren't they? They are. Yeah. We then see, we then see them having, having dinner together. John stops for dinner. And apparently they're playing footsie under the table. And Wendy thinks that it's because she's had too much to drink and John pours her, pours her another one. Mm. And Wendy reminds him that too much drink makes her feel sexy. Ooh. She's like, oh, I know. She goes over to the setting and sort of like lays herself down, looking quite seductive. Well, and mm. then <laughs> John John makes a pass at her and they kiss. And then this is where it goes a little bit weird because Wendy asks him to be rough with her. Yeah, which John is reluctant to do as he could never get the hang of it. And then he does this really weird thing where he ends up thrashing her about and like yeah. wagging her all over the Just setting, tossing her around like a rag doll, isn't he? Yeah. And now, hashtag different times, Wendy now says, treat me like a naughty schoolgirl, which is weird because he's a teacher. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's It true. made me feel a bit uncomfortable, that. But John still doesn't really get the hang of it and says, I need you to write me 50 lines before the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> What's that? It reminds me of that old joke where it's like, moan for me. Well, the cupboards could do with a clean... <laughs> They hear Mike coming in now, um, oh dear, and they jump up, obviously not wanting to be caught on the settee together. And John greets Mike. John's quite... Well... I think he's the bigger man in this. Well, he is a bigger this, man. Um, he's got a bigger... He's scene. covering his erection, so he's, he is definitely a bigger he man. He is with his cardie. <laughs> pulls his cardie down. Yeah, he's covering his hard on with he... his Roy Cropper cardie. <laughs> John. Mike. So, how you been doing? Oh, I've been doing all right, Mike. Uh, Wendy and I have been discussing maintenance money. I thought you was looking a bit flushed. I thought you were going to Brian's house. Well, I changed my mind. Haven't any objections, have you? After all, this is my house. Is Mike supposed to be Welsh? Yeah, he's, he, he brings his oh, diabolical Welsh accent. It's really awful. What? Why do that? Just because he's just make him move from somewhere else where the actor can actually do the accent. Yeah, weird. Why write it in? Yeah, that's only a change of literally a, a crossing out of a word. That's all it takes. It's not really important to his identity within the plot, is it? <laughs> his Welshness. No, no. Yeah. So it turns out that Wendy was trying to make Mike jealous on the phone because she she told Mike that John was there, and as soon as John leaves, I'm going to lock the door, which has made Mike come 
scuttling back. Yeah. So Wendy's plan works. She is very devious. And she just admits it right in front of John. Like I said earlier, she got no yeah. shame whatsoever. It didn't have anything to do with the fact I told you John was here, did it? Oh, Wendy. So that's what you're trying to do? Make me jealous? Yes. And it worked, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'll see if there's anything to eat. Good girl. I'm famished. She used me to make you jealous. Ah, that's just her way. But Mike seems really confused that it still rankles with John that he stole his life, as if he should yeah. get over it. Absolutely. This is yeah. This 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 scene sort of this bit of the scene got my back up a little bit because John reminds him reminds Mike how when he moved down to London, it was John that had sort of taken him under his wing and looked after him mm. and made sure that everything was okay for him, invited him into his home, and how did he repay him by taking his wife and his home? And Mike's argument is that, well, they need to abide by the ruling of the judge. Yeah, isn't it? Lovely. This is what the judge has said is supposed to happen. You need to abide by this or it's just anarchy. Oh, my God. Look you, look you. With his dodgy Welsh accent. Mm. So John leaves in, a, leaves in a bit of a huff. He just takes a Glenfiddich with him, though, on the way out, doesn't he? I like that. He just grabs <laughs> he it. that, did he? <laughs> Good. To say, Rafe, is that we are a symposium idea and formally seeking greater emotional awareness within the framework of viable spatial patterns by means of a sympathetic dialogue based on interactive cooperation and mutual trust, yeah? No. <laughs> we now cut to the party, the, the, the party at Mrs. Boyd Peter's house. Yeah. Kirk's dancing away with a Wednesday night person who we find out is Sylvia. He's got his arse all over her. No, he's not got his arse. He's got his hands all over her arse. <laughs> he's got his arse all over her hands. Yeah, that's a defence um, in court, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia's more concerned with whether John's coming or not, though, as well. Yeah. Um, so she's not really bothered about dancing with Kurt. That's quite interesting. She's definitely into him, isn't she? She is. She is. Kate and Ralph are talking away as well in the corner, um, and they're discussing still what they think Mrs. Boyd Peter's problem might be. When John arrives soon afterwards, he joins in as well with the chatter. Yeah, they're all, well, Kirk's busy throwing nuts at Mrs Arnott's head. Yeah, he said he's invented a new game. It's called Flicking Cashew Nuts at Mrs Arnott's head. Oh, Yeah. Poor Mrs Arnott. Yeah. But she gets home and takes her hat off and there's like a massive big collection of nuts in her hat. <laughs> Bless her. Kate, of course, thinks this is really stupid. And then, <laughs> and then there's a massive fart noise. Big comedy fart. Comedy fart. Um, Louise's face made me howl at this stage because she looks over at the group. Like a knowing look, isn't it? Yeah. To say, this is what I was talking about. And here we have another example of how John is quite a gentleman because he sort of steps forward in the room and says, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And he apologises to take the heat off Mrs Boyd Peters. Overly dramatic, though, somewhat, wasn't it? Overly dramatic apology yeah. to step forward and address the whole room, you know? He did. <laughs> he did address the room. Yeah. And when it happens again, Ralph does the same, which I think, again, it just highlights the fact that Ralph is a good He's egg. a good man too, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, and Mrs. Arnott's checking a rape alarm. <laughs> she, <laughs> she is. Thinks that's... Like, what kind of yeah? What kind of noise is his rape alarm making? If she needs to check that it's not going off, it just farted. I do like at this point though when Sylvia comes up and starts conversing with John, sort of awkwardly because she's she's another awkward divorcee. Yes, and she starts saying, "Oh, it's terrible about about Mrs. Dooms Patterson, uh, Mrs. Uh, <laughs> 
This is uh, Boyd Boyd Patterson. What Boyd Peters? Boyd Peters. Uh, sorry, it's terrible about her her arse situation. They they weren't the words yes. used. No, I'm really not. They're not painting a very um, accurate picture here. But she's saying it's terrible and that people make jokes of her. And there was one guy said, "I'll name that tune in one." <laughs> We were at this fete at the vicarage last month and Mrs. Boyd Peters was having a particularly bad day. Some of the cruel, cruel comments that were shouted out. I'll name that tune in one. <laughs> Things like that. No. Really? You don't expect that sort of thing from a man of the cloth, do you? <laughs> There was quite a few sort of machine gun jokes towards the end of this episode, I thought, that landed really, really well, and that was one of them. Well, that, that made me laugh. That is a classic example of the John Sullivan one-two joke, I think. You know, like, punchline, yes. and then there's a second punchline. Sometimes he even there's does it. a second punchline? Yeah. Yeah. The second or third punchline might not actually be as funny as the first, but come in while you're still laughing. Yeah. Come in in such rapid succession. like the, You know, it's a bit like Frank Carson used to say, there's more... Actually, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's not Frank Carson, is it? It's Jimmy Cricket. Oh, there's more. There's more. It is Jimmy Cricket. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting them mixed it up. Is. They're both Irish. Apologies. Sylvia then invites John over at the weekend. John thinks that there's going to be like loads of people there, but then she sort of hints that it's actually just a date, really, round at her yeah. house, and she gives him a phone number on a little scrap of paper. He tries to get out of it and starts to sort of try and make excuses, and Kate overhears this and helps John out by saying that she needs to go home because she's got a headache. Mm. So then John is busying himself about getting Kate home and um, just tries to fob off Sylvia a little bit. Yeah. Before they do leave, though, the fart noise happens again. It's a double parper, isn't it? It is. And Kirk steps up, shouting, That's all right, Mrs Boyd Peters, you can have that one on me! Which was one of the funniest lines in the whole episode. I thought it was brilliant. That's all right, Mrs. Boyd Peters. You have that one on me. Also, um, the way Peter Blake did it, he did a magnanimous wave as he did he it. He did. You know, as if he like did. I'm such a gentleman who's great. He really does get mixed up, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, John's in the foyer then, and we see him ripping up poor Sylvia's phone number. He, he doesn't want to go. Um, he rips up the, the, the phone number, and, and Kate comes out into the foyer and asks him, Are you okay? Is everything all right? And John says, I'm, I'm just annoyed at how thoughtless people can be. But then Sylvia follows him out into the foyer and asks if she can have the piece of paper so she can write on her work number in case he needs that to make plans for the oh, weekend. And yeah. obviously at this stage he's ripped it up and it's uncomfortable. But, but that is where the episode ends. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. I'm glad it ended at that point because otherwise you have the uncomfortable scene of of John saying, "Oh, I seem to have lost your." Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Sylvia thinking, "Has he lost it?" The type of thing that if Gervais was doing it, he would have included it for the cringe. Of course, it would. Yeah. You know. Is that a more modern trope? Do you think is that a more modern thing of of seeing the uncomfortableness? Yeah, we didn't in the eighties, nineties. It wasn't a thing. You were you were excused from that bit of the character. I think discomfort Whereas, comedy. Yeah. 
yeah, Ricky Gervais is like he's all about that bit. That's that's the focus, isn't it? The, the watching the squirming and watching the excuses and discomfort. Um, I'm glad that I didn't. Have, I didn't want to see that. I didn't want no. to see John being uncomfortable. No, I didn't. Actually, on the subject of Ricky Gervais, I did. Uh, I, me- yeah. I mentioned that I did a post the other week, just sort of saying, I don't think Afterlife is particularly. I think it's rather overrated, particularly this last series, okay. which I, I thought yeah. is an unpopular opinion. It's not going to, you know, people will shout me down. A lot of people agreed yeah. with it, actually. There's a couple of people really? a couple of people who um, replied, though, saying, you deserve any abuse you get, it's a masterpiece. And another one just saying, oh, I think you're wrong. You know, it's a great show. And it's just, okay. just discussion. And then this week, Rick, yeah. Ricky Gervais has liked those two tweets in reply to... Is that right? To, to our tweet. So Ricky Gervais is at home scouring Twitter... <laughs> mentions of his show to find reviews and and like the positive ones which you know i kind of find reassuring because someone who's like seen as the pinnacle i mean not for me but Mm. everyone thinks he's the pinnacle he's still insecure enough about his work i mean he comes out with a lot of bravado where he seems to be very arrogant but he's insecure enough to go out searching praise on twitter yeah yeah if you weren't bothered you wouldn't look would you no was there anything else you wanted to talk about in this? I did pick up on one thing. Go on. At Wendy's house, right in front of the fireplace. Did you notice what was there? Was it pampas grass? It was indeed pampas grass. Yeah. <laughs> of course it was. We're out the 70s, we're into the 80s, but the swinging is still oh, going on. Spills over. Yep. Spills over into a new decade. Did you pick up any bric-a-brac from Wendy's house? I think I got one. It wasn't from... Um... It wasn't from Wendy's house. Um, it was at the, at the zoo. It was Toby's see-through green visor. Oh, yeah. I had one of those. I remember having those from like a day out. They were shit, weren't they? They always end up... They, yeah, they weren't very long-lasting because they cracked because they were just so flimsy. But it was something that, that was a definite 80s piece of attire on a on a day out. I don't think the UV rating was very high on this. I don't think it was. No, it didn't work as any kind of... Its visor capabilities were very long. Mm. The one thing that I just spotted as bric-a-brac was in Wendy's house was the the floral pattern on her couch. Kind of very sickly colour, sickeningly kind of floral and swirly and loud and of its time. Do you know what I mean? Chintz. Chintzy. Mm. Laura Ashley style print. That's like, that was definitely of the, um, of the 80s. And it, 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 I think it spilled over into the nineties that kind of look as well because my my sister's first wedding her bridesmaid dresses were very similar to that settee. Oh, horrible! Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I noticed they tried to take back the word. Then it was yeah, I'm trying to be diplomatic, but yeah. Does she listen to the um, podcast now? I I don't know. This might be the last one that she listens to. <laughs> very yeah, very sort of not loud. I wouldn't say they were like loud and bold, but just very. Very flowery, just flowers yeah, everywhere. No, I'm not a fan. Of a time. Also, actually, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Um, Dooms Patterson. Dooms what's Patterson. her name? Mrs. <laughs> Boyd Peters. Yeah, her house. I noticed on the wall they had those little silhouette drawings, you know, where people have s- All right. snipped out a drawing of black paper. So it looks like a silhouette yes. in a frame. Yes. They were very in vogue in the 80s, weren't they? You know, a street artist might do it of your kids and just do a silhouette of their head. A silhouette picture, yeah. Yep. Yes, they were. They were something my mum had a crack at, I think, as well as those, um, you know, those wooden plaques that you get like a big sort of Bernie pen and and try and draw. Oh, yeah. She did them and sold them for a bit in the 80s. They're quite a big thing again now, though, making Bernie pictures with a pen. 
I'm sure there's a proper more. I don't think it's called that. No, Bernie Penn pictures. I think it's 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 quite a big a big thing. Yeah, it's interesting. People with you know, like with side hustles. Yeah, doing Bernie Penn pictures. Yeah, yeah. I like um, spotting those just little things that give you those those personal memories. That's what I like about the bric-a-brac corner thing. Bric-a-brac spotlight yeah. is that what we call it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they make up a general a general memory picture, don't they? Of of things that you can recognise, especially from like your own home or from somebody else's home and mm. you can straight away it's like a beacon for oh god yeah i remember that on the subject of which should we do fashion now yes okay let's have a trip to fashion corner whatever happened to those it seems we never wear those clothes no at the start of this episode kate is fully decked out in green and it's she's got like a long sleeve top with a with a a waistcoat over the top i I got jolly green giant vibes from it to be honest i don't think that's what she was going for but it was just a very plain green waistcoat over a green top and green jeans. I've never heard someone say green so many times and such. God, no, it was very green. It really was. I have a clip of you from the first series, and I don't know why I saved it, but I had a little tiny clip of you going, very green. <laughs> I don't know if you were talking about the green oh. door that Margot went through or some fashion but I saved it because the way you said it was really funny I'll drop it in at the end of this episode I think we need to drop it I need to hear that again very green very green in this same scene Louise is in a black top a multicoloured floral jacket we've talked about these jackets before being very sort of they were, they were big in the 80s and they've got like Miami Vice jackets where the sleeves are like three quarter lengths mm. with a, and a, like a small collar but this is something that over the past, there's like an aesthetic now where, like an 80s and 90s aesthetic that, that kids, like teenagers, are, are adapting the fashion of the the 90s especially and bringing it into like, a, having like a modern day version of it. So I can see the, these jackets have been, have, have like made their way back into like mum wear, I would say. Mm. Not really kids wear, but mum wear. Um, so if you're going out like you know to the pub for for some lunch mm. you put on your jeans and a top and one of these jackets just to smarten up what you've got on okay I, I, it's not something i would wear but it's something that the general the general populace yeah you pointed that out about louise's um jacket the other week i think same sort of she thing. wears quite a lot of stuff that i i it's not just memorable it's something that i i see, I see now it's something that's still there now mrs arnott <laughs> she's in all the greens as well very green very green. She's got an, um, what I would describe as being an apple white hat. So like a green tinge, um, a sage cardigan and a mint green silky silky blows with a pussy ball, which we've talked about previously. Not something that we've seen on Mrs. Anna, I don't think. No. Prior to this episode. So she might be, you know, like sort of being, seeing Louise and what she wears and being... Inspired. Yeah. Inspired, yes. And of course she was also wearing nuts. Nuts in a hat. Yeah. Yes. That's an interesting um, look. It is, indeed. Kirk has got... He's not got his usual white jacket on. No, even I noticed it. Meeting. It's like a T-shirt, isn't it? Very understated. Oh, I thought I thought he looked quite cool, actually. 
he had a t-shirt underneath it, it looked like what could be like, a, like an 80s band t-shirt I, I don't think it was but I, that's what that's how it felt George it Michael gave me the vibes, kind of vibes. Wow. yes it did yeah. it did he had, he had a sort of three-quarter length sleeve jacket on as well in grey mm. obviously not his usual white jacket but his leather pants were still there but his um, his medallion had gone it was just simple chain this week just a, yeah so yeah. he was very understated I thought he looked alright this week he was Wendy uh, Wendy when John goes goes around to take Toby home she's got a floral cream blouse on and that's got big big red and green flowers on it like I said before like the Laura Ashley look she seems to be she seems to have taken on board the, the, the Laura Ashley look in a big way in her house and in the way that she looks as well John in this same scene he has a Aaron knitted cardigan on with the big brown buttons. Did you have one of them when you were little? This is the, the one he used to cover his erection? Yes, yes. No, I don't think I did. It's like really thick thick wool, thick woolen cardigan yeah. with, with these massive green, like um, wooden buttons. Like, like you get on a um, duffel coat. More round. They were round and like a, like a checked like woven look to them. Right. Um, I don't think, no, I don't think I, I had one as a kid. I only ever saw them on, on Aaron cardigans but really heavy but not very flattering not something that if you were trying to woo your ex-wife back mm. you would, I don't think you'd put an iron cardigan on mind you I don't think he was expecting what happened to happen no that's true maybe he was just wrapped, he was wrapped up for the warmth of the zoo with all the other single Being men the zoo. <laughs> yeah uh, Sylvia at the party near the end of the of the episode she's um, dressed in like a black crossover dress with like a golden embroidered shoulder to it, which was, I think, something that like women of a certain age would would end up dressed with some kind of gold woven embroidered thing on her on their clothes. Mm. And she looked quite sweet, and, and she was obviously dressed for the occasion for the party. And special mentions. I've got two special mentions. One for Toby's green visor. Yep. And Mike's red cardigan. Yes. It was like orange. Orange red, very very bright. Maybe it was indicative yeah. of his Welshness. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. There was all. I actually got one of them as well. Al. There was the care. The, all right, go the on. caretaker in his classic workman's slash caretaker's coat. So there's the same sort of coat that you right. that you saw the guy I referred to earlier in the windbreak war wearing. It was the workman's kind of coat. You know, brown. Okay. Going down to just above the knees. It's just what yes. somebody who was doing some sort of, well, not manual labour, but... A caretaker in... Yeah, a caretaker or delivery kind of guy, yeah. Yeah. They all wore it. More in yeah. the 70s, I would associate it. You know, I can think of people cutting open all hours or even Steptones yeah. wearing that type of thing. Yeah. But he had it on. The odious little... What did what did Louise call him? Odious little I, I was going to say prick then, but it wasn't prick, it was pleb. Yeah. <laughs> the odious little prick. <laughs> Bit harsh. Rude. So, MVP, finally. Did you pick one this week, Al? I think my MVP this week was John. Mm. I know that's a really sort of dull decision, but I just think for everything that was thrown at him in this episode, despite the fact that he didn't have the guts to tell Sylvia at the end that he just didn't want to have a date with her, Mm. I will forgive him that for all the stuff that he put up with with his ex-wife. And his good eggery. 
that he was showing. He's an and being a good dad. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of with you. You've almost convinced me. Mm. And to be honest, you're going to poo-poo this, but I'm going to give it to Kirk because of that line. Oh, yeah. That line's just one. Yeah. His delivery of that line was superb. Yeah. Just and on the that intention alone. was to be a good person. He was to be. It was. It was entirely to do the right. He thought he was doing the right thing, despite the fact that he really didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like when he bought the uh, bought the razor for Ralph uh, a couple of episodes ago, or yeah. when he intended to bury the terrapin in the matchbox and then shook it about. Um, yeah, he's, he's trying. His intentions are always good. Yeah, he's trying. He's very trying. Often. Yeah. 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 So good on him. He's he's getting this week for me, Kirk. Excellent. So if you're enjoying Deep Diving Dear John with us, you can follow us at Sado Podcast on Twitter and Instagram where we post rare photos and videos of Dear John, Faulty Towers and The Good Life. We have a Facebook page as well that you can find by searching Sado Podcast and we also have a growing Facebook group that you can join and contribute to with discussion or memes or anything that you find yourself. Subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website which is sado.club and then there you can find and get information about us, read our blog, show us a coffee, and listen to the episodes if you don't do podcast apps. You can also watch the original episodes that we discuss on our episode notes pages or take our super tricky Good Life and Faulty Towers quizzes. Get in touch with us by email at saddlepodcast at gmail.com and if you can, can you subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. So next week's episode is episode six. Do you know what which one we're on next week? Yeah, it's it's a penultimate episode of the of the first series, and it's called the fourteen year itch. All right, okay. It features Ken from the school, the other teacher. Yeah, John's friend, who's not particularly likable, and yeah, I think he okay. I think he is uh, frustrated in his marriage and decides to come along to the one to one club, thinking it's some sort of haven of debauchery. <laughs> oh dear, he's going to be sadly disappointed. Yeah, but his wife's in this one, and you know who plays his wife, don't you? Who plays his wife? Marlene! (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Oh, I look forward to that. So, on that note, I'll see thee. (laughs) I'll see thee. (laughs) By the time you read this line. Life goes on Right or wrong Now it's all been said and done Dear John Seems we've sung Love's last song Dear John Very green.